electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the record run for stocks, whether it's sustainable or starting to teeter. We have some interesting buys and sells today from our investment committee. They're here to discuss and debate them with me for the hour today. Jim Labenthal, Pete Nigerian, Brenda Vangelo is the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. Degas Wright, the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management. Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary is the Chairman of O'Shares ETFs. Let's go to the wall, see the markets, where we've got new intraday highs today for the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100, the Russell 2000, highs for tech, discretionary, healthcare, materials, industrials. You get the gist of what I'm trying to say, Pete Nigerian. So there's your market picture. And I feel like we have a great debate to have today because I feel like it's happening all around us. Here are some highlights of the notes today. Goldman Sachs's David Solomon says, I'd be cautious. Those comments coming to Axios. Bank of America today, sell the vaccine. Tom Lee on the other side, no surprise. High probability for equities to post, he says, shockingly high gains. And then we'll talk about what Chamath Palihapitiya told me yesterday. But Pete, where are we? Who, who comes out of the winner of this debate? Well, I would say this, Scott, I would say that we are shockingly low in volatility, given the fact of where we have been this whole week. When you started off the earlier part of the week and actually even how we closed the end of the year, you'd expect to see volatility a lot different than where it is right now, where we are in the very low 20s. So I think this gives a great opportunity for buying protection. That's something that I have done because I don't know how cautious I have some cautiousness to me as I approach the markets. And I know that the, the trajectory has been to the upside in, a, in an absolutely massive way. So I want to be able to have a position on where I'm trading these very inexpensive options and buying a little hedging. One of the examples was I was long spider calls. I actually shifted, sold out of that position, and I bought some, call, some, some puts to the downside for the spider. Not because I'm negative, Scott, but I'd like to have that in place because volatility, like I say, is at the lower end. But it's given us a great opportunity. I am not owning or, or buying new stocks. As a matter of fact, I've probably gotten rid of a few stocks, but I have absolutely been trading these options because this is the time to really capitalize on what we're seeing, which is low implied volatilities, low VIX, and an opportunity to trade these markets. Even if I think that there's the possibility for a downside push, I think you've got to trade what's in front of you. We see it each and every day. How about the rally we got off of Monday and then the rest of this week, how we've been rocketing to the upside? And you just talked about some of these all-time highs. The SMH, the chips, they just continue to be a wonder to watch to the upside. And instead of just watching, I've been participating by buying multiple different names in that category. But I think there's a lot of different areas that continue to be remarkable, like the material space. Financials have had a pretty daggone nice run. So I think there's a lot of great opportunities out there still, Scott. Okay. Farmer Jim, on December the 28th, you agreed with everything that Tom Lee was saying. Right now, you got to ride this. That's what you told me, right? You were looking for this run to continue. Yes. Then I look up today, 
and I see that you sold Winnebago, massive winner, and that you sold your Apple trading position, which you only initiated a couple weeks ago. You got some splaining to do, bro. That's What's up? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I know. I, it sounds like you're calling me out, but that's not bit, how I feel bit. about it. When we bit. spoke, well, when we spoke <laughs> with Tom Lee, here, here's here's what I said, and I remember it clearly because I've been consistent. I said I agree with him. You've got to ride it, and probably second half of January is when you get a correction. When the bonuses are all out there, 401k contributions are all done. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to wait until January 16th and then start selling. The as a portfolio manager, Scott, you know this, but this is important. What's my job? It's to buy low and sell high. Right now, with the market where it is, it is so much easier for me to sell high than it is to buy low. So I look at Winnebago. Company's been just a phenomenal flyer, right? It's tripled, more than tripled in two years. Um, but I'm looking at risk right now. I'm preparing for that correction. They've done well. It's time for me to sell high and look to buy low. Here's the problem, though. When I look to buy low... It's hard for me to find things I don't own. I already own Boeing. I already own Qualcomm. You know, I would look at a Caterpillar, but I'd say, you know what? It's no longer buying low there. So I'm going to sit tight. I've got about 10% cash that's both from Winnebago and that Apple trading position. And I, I don't feel like I'm backing off on what I said a few weeks ago. This market has ripped and it's time for me to just take a little bit money off the table and wait until I can find the places to buy low. I, I hear you. It's just a you know, especially the Apple thing, the trading position. It's a you know, just a, a quick, quick turnaround. You know, on the tractor, off the tractor. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let me address that. I'm sorry, but but when we spoke about that, we that happened uh, two Mondays ago, and you and I spoke about it. I said, look, this is an end of the year. I may be out of it this week. And then uh, Thursday, New Year's Eve, you weren't on, which you're, of course, entitled to take a day off. Thank you, you should. Thank you. Uh, Morgan was on, and we just, we just <laughs> didn't, we didn't get to it. So I, I wasn't able to tell people that I took it off uh, last week. Okay. All right. I, I appreciate you clarifying that. All right, Brenda, you're up. <laughs> Where are we going from here? I mean, are we at an inflection point for the, for the rally? Yeah, I and mean, I think we've had another week of news where we've gotten confirmation on some of these things that were um, uncertainties in the market. So now we know the way that the Senate is going. We know there's going to be a, a, um, a transition uh, to Biden. Uh, so those are out of the way. But my question uh, that I've been asking myself is what more can we learn in terms of po whatever what more positive catalyst can we have here? So I do think that the market could absolutely experience some volatility. But I still want to be mindful of the fact that we are in an incredibly low interest rate environment. There's still cash on the sidelines. So it's a question of where do you go? <laughs> so I think that will continue to likely fuel some of this rotation going into value in cyclical oriented sectors. And that's how we've positioned our portfolios uh, throughout the, the second half of last year to really be tilted more towards those groups. Um, and not only because there's nowhere else to go, but I also think as we look to 21 and 22, uh, those groups should grow earnings at a faster pace than the traditional growth groups of technology and healthcare and so on. And historically, uh, that has resulted in outperformance of these groups. So I think we could continue to see this rotation, um, and it will likely come at the expense of some of the larger cap tech names in terms of multiple compression. Okay. That's what we're expecting. Okay. Um, I'll get to you in a minute, Kevin O'Leary, because I'm going to play some sound coming into you. But Degas, you must not be worried. How could you be if you just bought Square? 
Well, ultimately, the reason why I brought Square is that it gets into the payment systems. Obviously, during the pandemic, we shifted the way we, we live, work, and play, and, but also how we pay for things. And so Square actually addresses an issue for the small business owners. They also come in and they do a lot of work with small business community. So they're building their client base. They're also focused on the uh, tech space and getting more students involved in tech. So they're doing a great job of getting more customers oh, I through their work with small businesses. I, I hear and you. So I, I hear you. But Square, what you're what you're telling me what you're telling me is not new, though, right? I mean, I know why Square it does is good, right? I also know. What, see, I also know that Square its fifty-two week low is thirty-two dollars. Its fifty-two week high right. hit today is two hundred and forty-six dollars. That says rocket ship, right? You know where I'm getting on this, but, is why now? Why well, now? You can't be, if you're worried about the market in any way, shape, or form, you can't be buying Square today. So you're not worried, is my point. Well, well I'm not worried because ultimately now I'm seeing a, a pullback may occur in the first half of the year. And what we're sharing with clients is that if you have a concern, if you're really concerned about the market dropping, say, 20%, uh, down decline, you can buy some puts there, uh, as as Pete was talking about for protection, and then you can uh, write some calls uh, and to uh, generate some income to pay for your put calls. So that's what we're sharing with clients there. But what we're seeing long term, Scott, is 2021 at the end, we're going to see a positive market. So we're looking for a rebound after that pullback. And so what's happening that was square? Great question, Scott. What the business that Square is on and their business model is not going to go away because of this pandemic. This is a long-term play, and Square has really did an outstanding job of working with that small business owner with the application, starting out with the Square Reader. It made it easy for people to play, uh, pay for things, and it really works well in their environment, and I think it's a great buy. And what we looked at is how is the market changing and the squares of the world are, is that innovation that we're seeing in the payment system. Also, it goes very well with our other uh, financial services to include Ma uh, MasterCard and also PayPal. So that's a great play that we see going forward. Okay. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you gave me all that. It helps to uh, help our viewers understand why buying a stock like that now maybe can still make some sense. All right, Kevin O'Leary. So you're last in this, in this debate for a reason. You've heard everybody's point of view. I want you to hear somebody else's because Brenda so wisely teed us up for this by saying, well, what's the catalyst? Where are the catalysts for stocks to take that next leg higher? Here's what Chamath Palihapitiya told me yesterday he sees as to why assets can keep going higher. Personal consumer credit card debt had fallen off a cliff, which kind of makes sense, right? Because you were in the middle of a pandemic and you weren't going out as normal. On top of that, I saw data that showed that the amount of savings that individuals had had gone up, and then the amount of money in money markets were at all-time highs. And so when you put those things together, it is rocket fuel for assets. And so whether those are housing markets or whether those are capital purchases like cars or vacations or stocks, in this case, if we're still under a lockdown, these things are just going to go to the moon for a while. And so you just have to be long. And, you know, everybody who's trying to sort of like understand why you shouldn't be long, I think is going to regret it for at least the next 18 to 24 months. OK, Kevin O'Leary. So I've come into the shark tank and I say, OK, I've got to 
Two products over here. Goldman's David Solomon says time to be cautious. Bank of America says sell the vaccine. I've got on the other side. Hey, Kev, gang, look at these. I've got Tom Lee. High probability equities are going to post shockingly high gains. And I've got Chamath Palihapitiya saying you've got to be long. This is rocket fuel. Who are you buying? I'm going into the got to be long, but for a slightly different reason. We haven't talked about the 10-year in quite a while, Judge, as it breached 1%. I believe it's going to end this year in December, somewhere between 1.75 and 2%. And that is the beginning of an inflationary cycle because we are bringing money uh, into this market like never seen before. And because of what I saw in Georgia, I think we'll get a very strong and directional infrastructure package and maybe even more support. And that's all money supply. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do when you're pouring so much cash from the sky? You want to protect yourself against inflation. Where do you do that? Well, you probably sell utilities, as I have, long-duration preference shares, for example. Uh, Anything to do with duration has risk, including commercial real estate rates. And you put that money into where you have pricing power against inflation. That's the consumer stocks. That's technology. And for me, it's health care as well, because I think we'll be repatriating all of our health care needs over the next three years because of the pandemic. And so at the end of the day, it's a reason to protect yourself. If you just hold cash and the 10 year goes up, you may be hurt from inflationary forces that you could price yourself away, de-risk by just buying hard assets. Well, one of those, and I realize there's a lot of Kryptonians out there, and I ride with the Kryptonians. I have a hundred dollars worth of crypto. I'm really excited. <laughs> wow, that's a big but bet. I, I, well, no, listen, Scott, I'm re- it, it is, and I'm I'm a bit Lorian too. It's you know I, I bought all the cryptos three years ago, and if we get fifty thousand dollars today at the end of the day in a Bitcoin, I am going to break even. And I'm really excited, which shows you the only coin that worked was Bitcoin. But for me, gold is where I'm going to put my money now in a huge way, getting ready for inflation. So let me ask you this. You, You, in laying out the stocks that you suggest our viewers should look at, you said technology, while at the same time talking about rates going up and inflation. If rates keep going up, if we start getting more worried about that... Couldn't that cause multiples on those growth stocks to actually come down? Not until the 10-year gets to 3%. And I think we're a good three years away from that. The point is it's going to happen in stages. And I think you still stay long tech because when you see this quarter's numbers from the big names like Facebook and Google and everybody else, and in addition to all of those stocks that everybody started to sell off as they thought the vaccine would take hold, the Zooms, the DocuSigns, the Strike Forces. I, I'm still long all those because they're going to continue to perform until fixed income competes with tech. And that will happen somewhere between 3 and 4% on the 10-year. So we're a long way away from that. I'm staying long tech because the numbers, Scott, are going to blow your mind in Q1 on technology. You won't believe what Facebook's going to post. So speaking of... Right. Mizuho today, Brenda, calls Facebook their top pick. Okay, favorable e-commerce, new product trends, blah, blah, blah. Everybody owns it on the desk. So do you agree? Is it is it a top pick? O'Leary loves it. Do you? I think if we look at it in the context of the other large cap technology names, it is one of the ones that you could argue is attractive and it's still very controversial. The multiple is lower than we're seeing on some of the other names. 
um, still plenty of opportunity to play into those small businesses, although small businesses are hurting. But I think to the extent that we get a recovery in small business, that should only help uh, the ad spend happening there at Facebook. And then also, if they're able to figure out how to monetize um, actual selling product uh, through the website or through the site, I think that would be even more powerful. So I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, when we look at the other names within the group, this one doesn't stand out as being one of the most extended names. Is, is Pete no one worried? Or should we be worried about potential regulation, breaks up, breakups of, of Facebook and some of these other names now that the Democrats are going to control the Senate, albeit you know, it's 50-50 and, and Vice President Harris is going to end up breaking breaking ties on, on actual votes of legislation and things like that. Is that a worry or no? I don't think it's necessary. It's a little bit of a concern, Scott, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously there's been a lot of conversation about that going on, obviously, throughout the entire this year, this past year, as far as getting towards the election and what might happen. I really don't think they're going to be able to uh, make these companies break up. And if they do, Scott, quite honestly, in some ways, they might actually create even more value. So I, I, I think the interesting thing is when I look at Facebook specifically, and you look at it trading to Brenda's point, a little bit less expensive than some of the others, it's got a forward of 25 times. They got great cash position and they get incredible cash flow. They continue to go into different verticals all the time. Now, I think that's a great business model. I think Zuckerberg's been absolutely an artist in how he has done the acquisitions that he has, has, has accomplished over the number of years. And by the way, it was not just during this previous administration. It was before that as well. They've made over 80 acquisitions uh, since they went public. So there is a lot to this story here in Facebook. And I think there's still plenty of upside. It's kind of hit that pause button. I actually am very excited about Facebook for this year. Kev, I mean, what about the idea of, of increased regulation on, on big tech as a result of, of not only Biden's win, but the Dems controlling Congress? And then if you want to throw into the mix, too, um, fallout against some of these social media companies for, you know, being maybe a, accomplices are, is probably too strong of a word to use, but certainly vehicles to foment anger and hate which in some respects may have helped lead to what we witnessed so shockingly on Wednesday. Yes, that the, the, the freedom of speech and, and expression issue makes heads explode on both sides of the aisle. But, you know, the cost of free speech has always been the 1% lunatic fringe. They get a voice, too. And that's a huge debate that I'm sure we'll get into. But in terms of regulating Facebook or Google... I think the Dems, when they get in power next week or whenever it is, in the next 15 days, their slate is full. First of all, this 100 million vaccines the first 100 days, that's a massive logistics problem that will be on Biden's mind every night. He'll be looking at those numbers just like Lyndon Johnson looked at death tolls in Vietnam every night. It's going to be the same kind of situation. So very much focused on getting the country back on its feet. The taxes of tax, the chance of tax increases, I don't see it in the first 24 months. And then we have the election again, and he'll lose some seats to the House, as every incumbent does. So I think it, we're setting up here for a time that, and I would argue one other thing that we haven't really talked about with Facebook, and, and this is anecdotal data, but I've got enough companies buying Facebook now that it represents 80 cents of every dollar for small business in America because of geolocked advertising. If you were to any way harm Facebook, 
you would be destroying small business in America right now. It's not going to happen anytime soon because it is the way they survived 2020. It is the way they're surviving 2021. Basically, you know, 30% of small business went to zero because they were involved in sectors that you couldn't fix or preference changed with consumers during the pandemic. But the other 70% are running on Facebook and Instagram and, frankly, the other social media platforms, which many people want to vilify. Meanwhile, back at the farm, people are feeding their families with these social media platforms selling direct to consumers. Mm. Speaking of farms, uh, Farmer Jim. Thank you, Kevin O'Leary. Perfect segue. <laughs> Microsoft named yeah. the top pick at so, Oppenheimer, which you own. I want you to opine on that one, not Facebook. I want to move on. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, but Microsoft, very similar to Facebook, very similar to Apple, very similar to Google. What do I mean? Obviously, they're large. Obviously, they're technology. But their valuations are, in my opinion, absolutely fine. We're looking at companies, all four of those, mostly around 28, 30 times this year's earnings. This interest rate environment, and most importantly, for the growth that a Microsoft is putting up there. You know, that peg ratio, I don't have it right at my fingertips, but it's a very attractive peg ratio. So those names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, those aren't the ones I'm worried about in this market. I think they're growth at a reasonable price, reasonable price. Now, some of these things, I'll say it, you know, look, Tesla, uh, it, you know, even still Zoom, some of these stocks at those multiples, I, I just find them untouchable for me. I'm perfectly fine having some Garpy names, and you know I have my value names, but, but these hyper-growth, hyper-valuation names, I just can't touch them. Man, you say Tesla like it's a dirty word, Jim. Well, I just, you know what? I guess it's me feeling guilty, right? I mean, let's be honest. I don't own it. The stock's up, what, eight, eight-fold in, in a year? I mean, it's, you know, it's up another 5% today. What is that, another, another General Motors market cap just today? Um, I can tell you that what I just said, the last 10 seconds, makes no sense whatsoever. But you can tell me, and you probably will, but, Jimmy, you've been wrong the last few months. So the anxiety you feel, that's what it is. I mean, I'm not saying that the move, it's not for me to say whether the move in Tesla is justified or not. Back to Polyhepatia uh, on, uh, on Tesla. Here's Chamath, what he told me yesterday. We got a couple people who own the stock. So let's hear from him again. He's bullish. The big disruption that's coming is to power utilities. There are trillions of dollars of bonds, of capex, of value sitting inside the energy generation infrastructure of the world that is going to go upside down. And when that goes pear-shaped, Tesla will double and triple again. Degas, you certainly hope so since you own it. Scott, and I, I agree with that because you can't really look at Tesla as an automobile company. That's the wrong way of looking at it and the wrong matrix. So as we start looking at it, and we took a while to get there with Tesla, but what's occurred, we started really digging into understanding the full business model of Tesla. Automobiles, EV is one aspect, but as he just mentioned, power generation. They have a, the Gigafactory one in Nevada is actually at a zero net energy. So it's not adding any uh, emissions to the uh, environment. And this is the one of the first time it's been able to be done from a factory from the ground up. So they produce the batteries and the automobiles. So, and we really like this. If you think about Tesla, back in June of 2019, they were still at a negative 46 cents. The last quarter, they actually surprised, and it was actually 27 cents to uh, 22 cents 
uh, the Wall Street. So they've actually went from a negative position in their EPS to a positive position. And as we know, uh, they're up uh, a significant amount. Uh, they're at $770 billion in market cap. So I think it's more than just automobile. It's the EV. It's the batteries. And as he just stated, as that market comes to bear, Tesla is going to be in the forefront. Okay, that's fair. You're hey, not, Scott. You're, Scott, you're, can I can I say something? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, you 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 played Chamath. That was yesterday. Stocks mm. up seven and a half percent today. It's fifty billion dollars worth more today since Chamath said that. So Chamath's already in the picture. We got fifty billion. I am telling you, that is not a fundamental move. I don't know what you want to call that move. It's not technical either. It's froth. It's mania. Today's fifty billion dollars is not fundamental. Degas is right. I love his analysis. I'm just saying that's not why it's up $50 billion in market All right. I mean, today. look, it's up 1,100%, Kevin O'Leary, since, since the March low. So yeah, what, what do you, what do you, you own it, right? I mean, what do you do with it? What do you do now? You know, when you get a stock like this in a portfolio or in a mandate, it, it's a disruptor. It, 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 it's a wonderful thing to see happen, but it causes chaos in portfolio theory. So in my case, I can't have a stock more than a 5% weighting. I bought this stock at $263 three years ago, I think, before all the splits, and I have been a net seller practically every week because of that mandate. So I can't tell people to buy it. I'm selling it all the time, trying to keep it within the mandate. But, you know, you've got to think about something here. You can't value it as a car company anymore. Everybody knows that. So you're really buying into a new world vision. And there are people that are willing to do that, not just with Tesla. You're the same. If you're buying Bitcoin, you're doing the same thing. And you've been rewarded for it. But at some point, we all know Ipercus flies too close to the sun and the wings melt off and poo-poo happens. I don't know when that's going to occur. I won't care. My cost base on Tesla is zero. And, I, and I've left so much on the table, I don't even think about it anymore. But at the end of the day, portfolio theory guides me because I'm a guy that's lived through ups and downs and I have to protect my hiney. So 5% max. And when you get a disruptor like Tesla, you cry every day as you sell it down. Pete, Pete, give me no more than 45 seconds. How do I protect my Tesla if I'm in it? Well, you absolutely can do it through options. As a matter of fact, some people, folks, I think, are doing this exact trade that I'm going to describe, which is stock replacement, Scott. They're actually selling out of their stock because of these unbelievable runs that Jim and, and, and Mr. Wonderful are describing right now and actually putting themselves into options. We see that trade all the time. Also, the one other way, Scott, would be just to protect it through puts. Yes, they're going to be expensive, but that's insurance that's well worth it because of the, the rise that we've seen in the stock, the acceleration of this move in the stock. I think that that's a very, very prudent way to try to play it, and that way you can hold on to the money that you've already made in the stock. Okay, good stuff. You listen to the timing, Q2. I appreciate yeah. that. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Energy stocks are surging this week. How the investment committee playing that sector. We'll talk about it next. And don't miss a big interview with us on Monday. Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gunlock. It is a halftime exclusive. Has not been on since April. It's been nine months since we've heard from the Bond King out west. We're looking forward to Monday. Should be a big show. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. In a reversal of the current approach, transition officials say that when he takes office, President-elect Biden will release most of the available COVID vaccine doses so that, quote, we can get more shots in Americans' arms now, end quote. The Trump administration has been holding back doses to make sure those getting the first shot will also be able to get their second shot three weeks later, the combination that has been tested and shown to provide very strong protection. Deutsche Bank will be paying more than $100 million to settle charges it violated U.S. anti-bribery laws as it sought business in China. And the pro-Trump crowd that caused extensive damage outside the Capitol building on Wednesday also targeted news equipment that had been abandoned by fearful technicians outside the building. This video was shot by a reporter for the NBC station in Washington. And Tommy Lasorda, who managed the Los Angeles Dodgers with great passion as they won two world championships, has died at the age of 93 after a heart attack. You are up to date. That's the news update, Scott. I'll send it back to you. Going to miss Tommy. Yeah, Going to miss Tommy. Grew up a Dodgers fan in L.A. He was... He was amazing. I grew up a Dodger fan, not in L.A. Right. Uh, and I still am today, and largely because of Tommy Lasorda's teams through yep. those years. Inspirational. Yep, going to be missed, for sure. Sue, thanks. You got it. All right, let's move. Talk about the market again. Energy is the top sector this week, gaining more than 10%. We've got some ownership in the group, too. So, first of all, Brenda, do you think it's sustainable? As oil moves towards 52 bucks, and a stock like Chevron, which is in your book, can it work in that environment? Three months, it's up 21 and a half percent. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a call out there and it's legitimate, you know, that um, renewable energy will eventually uh, become much more viable and much more widely used and it, it continues to grow. But I think we can't ignore the fact that 56 percent of oil demand comes from transportation and we are going to see a recovery in transportation at a global scale. Um, and so that will drive more demand. Meanwhile, much of supply has been coming down. So I think we will have a period of, of perhaps sustained supply demand imbalance. And that could certainly continue to move uh, prices higher and it could continue to uh, cause investors to look towards the energy space to, to finally add some exposure if they haven't had any. Um, so we've been in Chevron we continue to think it's it's a safer way to play the group. Uh, they have been uh, very uh, financially um, uh, conservative, I would say, in the group, and we continue to like that uh, that about the company. But I think uh, overall the group could work uh, for a more sustainable period of time. All right. So, Pete, energy's up 9.5% this week alone, okay? Chevron got upgraded today to overweight from neutral. That's at Piper Sandler. You own Chevron. You own ExxonMobil as well. And I'm just curious your thoughts here, given the environment that we're in and really given this move that we've already had, you know, as people are thinking about, I wonder if our viewers are, are starting to think about whether energy really does have some legs and if it's going to be one of the surprise leadership groups of 2021. I think it could be a surprise leadership group in the early parts of 2021, Scott. I think I'd be very cautious. I'd be very careful. I'm long, as you said, Chevron and Exxon in terms of stock. I also have some of those beta names on the call side, and that has been some of the better trades that I've had because if you go back to November when this really started to really kick off, it's been an amazing run. I mean, we talk about just this week, but even go back to November and take a look at how fast this has moved. The price of oil obviously moving from under 40 back now up 
as you said, about near 52. So a really uh, dramatic move in the price of oil, and you're starting to see a little bit of the catch-up from these stocks. I do think there's more upside, but I would be very cautious and say you've got to be on your toes. You've got to be uh, understand that the, the run has already started, so you better understand that half of this run, I think, is already over, and you've got to be a little bit more careful as we extend through the first part of 2021. I don't say that I think 2021, the entire year, is going to be for energy. I think sooner or later we'll see that start to slow down on the price of oil. That'll bring back some of these stocks a little bit. Okay. Uh, interesting thought. Degas, so you own Chevron and you bought Amoresco. Tell me about Amoresco since we got the Chevron story out already from the others. Right. So Amoresco. So this is a play on infrastructure and sustainability. What Amoresa does is that if you think about retrofitting facilities and, and they also do power generation, they actually construct and operate power generation plants, energy plants. And so that's their business. And that business is booming. Uh, they just recently signed a contract with the New York uh, City Housing Authority for over one hundred million dollars to retrofit about uh, 15 of their developments. And over a 20 year period, that's going to save the authority some one hundred million dollars. So outstanding positioning for this company. And also it's a small cap company, about three billion dollars in market cap. And, and it's been surprising on the upside. It actually had the last earning surprise was about 52 percent uh, from a uh, 38 cents to uh, compared to 25 cents for the uh, street. So once again, growing uh, revenues, surprising on the upside in the right market infrastructure investment. We've been talking a lot about that and sustainability. Okay, Um, Kevin O'Leary, you know, it's really a tale of two conversations, I I think, whereas you can be and I know you are and have been sort of negative on fossil fuels. Right. But the flip side of that, and it still falls under the energy umbrella, is clean energy. And we know that a Biden administration is going to make a huge focus in that area. Do you play it at all? And if so, how? You know, Let's go back to hydrocarbons, because energy is not energy anymore. When you go and, you know, I'm in the indexing business with O'Share, so I'm always, as the chairman, trying to help the company license its indexes or talk to pension plans or sovereigns so that they take on an allocation of an index like OUSA, which used to hold in it Chevron and Exxon and Schlumberger. And I saw this for the very first time back in Q3 last year. I've never seen this before. You're sitting down with the the investment committee of a large pension plan or a state pension or university pension. This happened multiple times. And because you have to be totally transparent, your index is right there on Bloomberg. They can see the weightings in every name. And they immediately say, oh, you have Exxon in here. You've got Mobile. You've got Schlumberger. We don't touch that. We don't get involved in hydrocarbons. And I'm saying, wait a second, these things are fantastic balance sheets with wonderful distributions. No, 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 no. And so I got tired of getting beaten up like that. I don't own any of this stuff anymore because the incremental buyer, Scott, the institution, the sovereign, the pension plan is not going to buy that stock from you. The PEs on these companies over the next few quarters are going to continue to compress, even though earnings get better because they're getting much more disciplined on CapEx. It scares me. I've never seen a wonderful sector like energy get turned into kryptonite and toxic waste like the way it's being turned into it now. And that was before Biden got his mandate. Can you imagine what it's going to be like next quarter? Yeah, but I mean, that's why clean energy is is the the place to be, though. Right. Well, I I have another problem with clean energy. I like to make money. 
So, you know, I'm looking at, I want strong balance sheets not laden with debt, with debt and having strong cash flows that are growing. You're not finding that in clean energy yet because we're still in the experimental stage. Solar's getting better, but if you strip away the state and federal subsidies, you're not making any money. So we're in that transition period. Personally, I don't have a problem owning hydrocarbons. I will never utter the word Chevron again in an institutional meeting. I swear I'll, I'll, I'll disown it like I never even knew what it was. And that's what's happening out there. Hmm. Okay, up next, Pete has some new trades for you in unusual activity. And as we go to break, a check on the S&P sectors today. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Unusual activity. Pete. Yeah, Scott, I'm going to start off with MGM. Now, this is a name that earlier in the week we had some call buying in MGM as well, and they were buying the January 31 strike calls. Today, they're buying the January 31 strike calls. And, it, and, and it's pretty aggressive because they bought over 7,000 of these calls, around 75 cents at the time. Stock was below 31. And, I, I, you know, it only takes a little bit of movement for these to actually start to move to the upside. They're already starting to move to the upside, Scott. And maybe there's a little bit more. I'm going to be in this for at least the next couple of weeks. I love seeing this kind of a trade. We usually see win. We, we see some of the other names. But MGM's a little bit more of an unusual for us as well. Secondly, let's get to the material space. We've been all over this, been talking about this since November. It's been Freeport. It's been U.S. Steel. It's been uh, just about every one of those different names in the material space. Vale has hit on multiple occasions. It hit five times just in the last couple of weeks. But today they're buying the February 19 calls. They bought 39,000 of these calls, Scott. So aggressive positioning there as well. I'll be in those. I added to an already position that I'd already had from other unusual that we've seen in the past. And this is another case where I think we can continue to roll up to the upside because this is an area that just continues to grow. And I think the material space, if you believe in the industrials, you've got to kind of like these materials even a little bit more. I think they're in front of it and they can continue to move to the upside. I like this valet trade a lot. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you, Pete and Jerry. And up next, the investment committee unveiling their top picks for 2021. We're back in just two minutes to do that. 
All right, we're back. The investment committee, as I said, unveiling their top picks for 2021. Let's go to Brenda first. Brenda, Booking Holdings and Boeing. Talk to me. Yes, we like both of these names. Booking Holdings, uh, we think, is a uh, a way to play the return to travel and leisure activity, and it's with a very um, uh, low-cost business model and, and very tech-centric, so we think there'll be plenty of leverage when people come back to that business, which we think is likely. Uh, people will stop spending on their homes, will start spending on travel, dining, etc., um, Boeing is a controversial name, uh, but we have seen the news become more incrementally positive. Uh, we've seen several contract wins. We also got clarity more recently from the DOJ penalty. So I think that'll pave the way for more people to begin to step into this name because we do think that there will ultimately be a recovery in the business. The stock is still significantly depressed versus where it was even pre-COVID. Uh, so we still think there's plenty of upside there. Okay. Uh, Degas, Upwork? And IDEX Labs? Yes. Uh, these two stocks are really making a, a, a play on what's happening with our economy. Upwork is actually the freelancer's way of working anywhere on the globe. And we really like this company because it's getting into that, what we see as the trend going forward. And so we purchased this firm. This is a small firm, about a uh, small cap firm, about $4 billion. We like the fact that they also did something for the community. They actually gave warrants to a nonprofit that will benefit as the price of the stock increases. And, and then they can do the good work in the community as it relates to in, increasing technology uh, uh, education for students in their community. So we really like the, the business model around this. And we think this is a stock that really outlines how we will work in the future. This company allows, uh, it's in over about 180 countries, and it's doing a great job of letting you work anywhere. IDEX. IDEX is in the healthcare, but healthcare for pets. And we, we've, we joked about the fact that a lot of people are getting pets now, given the pandemic. Well, that's not going to go away. And IDEX does a great job of positioning. They have been surprising on the upside on their... Um, uh, on the EPS and also on sales. So they're actually generating more sales in this pandemic market. As we come out of the pandemic, they're going to continue to do well. Plus, when we look at their valuations, their very favorable valuation and profitability is very positive for this particular company. So we think both of these companies would do well into 2021. Okay. Brenda, I realize you didn't really give us anything on, on a Boeing, but rather than have you pitch the stock, Let's do it this way. Kevin O'Leary, I know you don't like Boeing. So why don't you tell us why? And then we can have Brenda with the rebuttal. Well, I don't like airlines. I don't like Boeing. I think they get captured in the same sentiment in terms of traders. I think what's going to happen by Q2 of this year, your heart's going to be broken on business travel. There's an assumption underlying the vaccine rollout that all of a sudden people are going to travel for business again and entertainment. Not going to happen. I'm seeing budgets now for small private companies being slashed. 20 to 50 percent right through the end of the year, 2021. I don't think we're going to bring back business travel for five years, maybe longer, because it's a waste of money. You can do it using technology instead. And so what's going to happen, and I'm short, I'm using Jets, uh, which has a basket of all the airlines wh whose balance sheets have been turned upside down, even though they've gotten grants from the government, those are the worst balance sheets they've ever had. And Boeing's also put on a lot of debt, too. Now, Boeing itself also has a defense business, but I think what's going to happen is the airlines correct 
And some might even have to go bankrupt into consolidation unless they can find a way to get travelers uh, you know, to Disneyland for $39 or whatever they're charging for those seats. It's a miserable space. And it just hasn't manifested itself with the numbers yet. I hate the space, and I think Boeing goes down as a result. Hey, that's what makes a market. Okay, so last word to you then, Brenda. Well, I think the last word I'll say on business travel is I think sentiment has become overly negative on business travel. But I think it will be interesting to see what happens, especially in sales-related business travel, which company goes and actually visits the client in person and who actually gets the sale. And the minute someone loses a sale because they didn't go in person and they had a virtual sales call, I think that's what's going to drive more business-related activity. So I think there could be a more of a turn in business-related travel than what's expected right now. Okay, we'll take another quick break. We'll come back with more trades. We'll do it next. It's time for the Futures Outlook and a plan for the week ahead. Scott Nation's helping you prepare. Futures traders will have lots of interesting data to trade on next week. Most of that's going to have to do with fixed income markets. And earlier this week, we saw the 10-year Treasury yield finally climb above 1%, something it has not done since March. The best vehicle for trading interest rates is the 10-year Treasury futures contract. The ticker symbol for that is ZN. The front month is currently March of 2021. Each contract represents $100,000 face value of the 10-year Treasury. Contract is priced in points, 30 seconds of a point, and then halves of a 30-second. That means that each full point is worth $1,000, and each 30-second is worth $31.25. Well, given the fact that rates are increasing, that means that the price of the future is decreasing, I'd be a seller, and I'd be selling that March contract at 137.16. My target, once I'm short, would be 136 even, and my stop to the upside, we're always going to trade these with a stop, is 138 even. All right, our thanks to Scott Nations for that. We'll follow up, of course, on the trade after the data comes in. We'll do final trades next. Another reminder of our exclusive on Monday, the Double Line CEO, Jeffrey Gundlach, joining us on halftime. We'll get his take on the record rally, rising rates, whole bunch more, as we always do with Jeffrey Gundlach. Looking so much forward to that. Let's do final trades. We don't have much time. Kevin O'Leary, your 2021 top pick is your final trade. You've got to be quick, though, real quick. GLD, hedge against inflation. And if you can't ride with the Kryptonians, it's worked in the past. Okay, Brenda? CBS Health, uh, well-positioned within the healthcare industry and driving costs lower. Is that the same as yours, Jim? <laughs> I'm with Brenda. She's smart. I'm with Brenda. <laughs> All right, Pete? I'm going to give you Billy Billy, Chinese online entertainment. I think it's going higher. All right, Degas, lastly and quickly to you. Yeah, Chet Mad, uh, making uh, boomers aging hospice care, uh, millennials buying homes, Rotor Rooter. All right, good weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.